Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Pater! Pater! Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Paydirt, a Penn State football show. Along with former Penn State and NFL quarterback Matt McGloin, I'm Tom Hannafin. This show is brought to you by our sponsors, Funk Brewing, the official craft beer partner of Paydirt. Now, we're big fans of Funk Citrus IPA and Silent Disco IPA. However, we want to let you know about three Funk Brewing beers that you've got to check out. The Little Citrus Session IPA and the Peach Bikes Shandy are available right now. Also, the Mango Sour Power is available now as well. It's a sour ale brewed with mango. It's absolutely delicious. Do not miss out on all three of those. You can get these great beers at Funk's Tap Rooms now in Emmaus, Elizabethtown, and York. Of course, you can find Funk Brewing products at your favorite beer distributor and grocery store as well. For more information, visit funkbrewing.com to learn where and how you can get their fantastic products. Must be 21 years or older to purchase please drink responsibly also pater is brought to you by our partners at bet online who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info find all the latest sports developments including updated odds on the nba and nhl playoffs major league baseball fights and even next season's nfl futures bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs including live betting and your favorite vegas casino and poker games it's super easy to get started so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Paydirt is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. So thank you for tuning in on ESPN State College, as well as checking out the podcast version of this show presented by the Believe Network, which is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you think of the show at ESPN Radio 1037, at glowing QB 11 and at Tom Hannafin. Matt, this is a big week for us. We are so excited. We are officially syndicated on ESPN State College. I'm thrilled to be able to connect with more Penn State fans, the entire State College community. And we've got ourselves a pretty big guest to, you know, ring in this new partnership. I'm pretty excited about it. Former Penn State quarterback Trace McSorley, part of the 2016 Big Ten Championship uh, win. Uh, This is really cool. What do you think of Trace McSorley when you look at not only his body of work at Penn State, but what he's gone on to do in the NFL? One of the best to ever play at Penn State, and not just the quarterback position, but one of the best players to ever walk through the door at Penn State. So, you know, it's an honor to be talking to him today. I'm anxious to hear what he has to say about Penn State um, when he was there, um, you know what his thoughts are about the current program and, and how he's doing in the NFL. But Tom, I'm super excited to be a part of ESPN Radio State College right now to uh, to have the opportunity to continue to do what we love, right? You know, talk about Penn State football, break the game down, um, and have on fantastic guests like Trey. So really looking forward to talking to him. Um, it's going to be a great episode. You, uh, you, you're very fortunate that you get some opportunities with the Big Ten Network. You do some mm-hmm. stuff with Sirius XM and now just kind of expanding that portfolio, so to speak. Not to mention the time uh, in the National Football League, the time in the XFL, which is how you and I got connected in the first place is because I was working for WWE at the time. And uh, I was a big supporter of yours on social media. And it was like, oh, well, we, we, you were trying to get me some New York Guardian swag <laughs> at the time. It Did never, they send you any? It never materialized. 
demoralized. I'm still a little <laughs> sour about that. Uh, <laughs> we really like, I would have liked at the time and I'm, I'm excited for the lead to come back, but yeah. um, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation with trace because you guys had very similar paths. Once you got into the national football league, I mean, do you look at that as well and just kind of be like, wow, like he's experiencing the same things I did. Yeah. You know, trace obviously was a six round draft pick to uh, to the Baltimore Ravens now with the Arizona Cardinals you know and even those that sixth round that seventh round I mean it's very similar to an undrafted position right the position that I was going to be in um you know it, it's hard to earn reps it's hard to make the team it's hard to make the practice squad Tom when you're in that position and I've always looked at it like this it, they're not invested in you Right. And that and that may be tough for some people to hear, but but that's that's the way it is. Right. It's almost like you have to make an an impact. You have to make an immediate impact. Um, And and again, Trace was a three star recruit, uh, went to Penn State, had to earn his way. He's got to do the same thing now in the NFL. And he has done that. And, you know, knowing the type of person he is and the type of player he is, he's going to continue to do that. Um, But you have to make the most of every opportunity you're given, every rep you're given. There could there there are no room for errors. There's no room for excuses, Tom, because the last thing you want is to have a general manager or a scout or a coach to say, you know what? I told you so. We brought this guy in because well, he had a good career, right? He he has some potential here, mm-hmm. but you're making a mistake, you make a mistake. It's like, yeah, you know what? I told you so. This is why he was late on draft pick. This is why he was undrafted. He just doesn't have it. That was something that I never wanted to give somebody the satisfaction of saying. Right. So always made sure I was prepared, always made sure that, uh, you know, I made the most of the reps that I was given. And now, you know, Trace has been in the, the league for a few years and, and he's done the same. And anytime we've gotten the opportunity to watch him in preseason or or, or, or in a regular season game, um, you know, he's done a great job and, and shown that he's taken mental reps and preparing, you know, as, as if he's a starter, um, preparing as if he's ready to play. Um, week in and week out. And, and that's why he had a great career at Penn State. And that's why he's doing so well in the National Football League. I, I love the lineage that went from yourself to Christian Hackenberg to uh, Trace McSorley. So I, I graduated from Penn State 2011. So it was on campus part of that uh, season you guys had that was so pivotal in 2011 and then extremely pivotal in 2012 to really pick things up. When you saw the way Trace and company accomplished what they did, how much of that you know gave you a sense of pride for what you and your teammates did in those two critical seasons to see like hey this helped lead to this well, this led yeah. this laid the foundation for this Big 10 title win loyalty was something that i looked for back then from players um at that time right who is there for the right reasons who's there for team who's there for penn state who's there for the university as a whole, right? Former students, current students, alumni, former players, current players, future players, right? Who's doing it for the right reasons? And, you know, Trace McSorley was the leader of that. He was that guy that was there day in and day out, week in and week out, game in and game out, um, you know, given everything he had to the team, everything he had to the university. So it was fantastic to watch him and watch his career and watch him get better as a player and as a leader year in and year out. And, you know, I, I was a fan of his back when he was playing at Penn State, and, and I'm a fan of his today in the NFL and what what he's been able to do and what he's been able to accomplish. 
I think it's the thing that, you know, I, I talked about the similarities between you uh, in the National Football League and what Trace has been doing. I think so many people want to see, hey, you're going to a Pro Bowl, you're winning Super Bowls, you're doing this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, man, I, I can't tell you, you know, talking to a lot of Penn State fans, friends, and family, how proud they are to see what mm-hmm. Trace McSorley is doing now, as you mentioned, part of the Baltimore Ravens for a few years now with the Arizona Cardinals. And I don't expect that to really slow down. Like He's gotten some good opportunities with the Ravens, and he shined. Um, is it just kind of being in the right place at the right time? The NFL is a lot about timing. It absolutely mm-hmm. is. Um, you know, you look at like real quick my career. I was with the Eagles. They released me, but they had Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. They kept two quarterbacks. They went on to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, the next year, you know, I was with the Chiefs. They had Patrick Mahomes and uh, uh, Chad Henney. You know, they went on to win the AFC championship or go to the AFC championship game that that year, and then won the Super Bowl the following year. But my four years in Oakland, you know, they were looking for you know, a young quarterback, a backup type quarterback to vet to develop. And I was that guy for them, you know, for a few years and really did my best to try to, you know, embrace that backup role when I had that and but still prepares if I was the starter. Um, but but Tom, you, you know, one of the most important things that I think you can say about Penn State and, and you mentioned it is the support and the support they have for their players. You know, that, that are currently at Penn State. And even mm-hmm. when they move on to the NFL, that support continues. Um, you know, and um, I, I don't think you can say that about a lot of other schools throughout the country. And, you know, just for me personally, the support that I've gotten to it, back then, even to this day from Penn State fans, it's special, um, you know, and uh, it, it, it gives you this great feeling knowing that everything you did throughout your career, you know, was worth it. You know, and uh, it's just special. Very fortunate, very blessed to, to have been a part of Penn State, Tom. It's what makes the state college community so special. It's what makes yeah. the Penn State football program and uh, being a Penn State fan such a special thing. So uh, without further ado, as part of our debut here on ESPN State College, here is former Penn State quarterback Trace McSorley. Joining us now here on the Pater Podcast, one of Penn State football's best ever former quarterback Trace McSorley now with a team in the NFL some of you may have heard of the Arizona Cardinals um <laughs> Trace how you doing how's life now that you're you know on the west side of the country as opposed to like you got real lucky you're a Virginia kid and then you get to play for you know the Baltimore Ravens at one point so that was working out nicely yeah uh no I appreciate you guys having me on it definitely uh it was a little bit of an adjustment you know being all the way west coast um, biggest thing would just say the time difference, like mm-hmm. talking to my fiance back home, like trying to figure out when I can call her. That's before she's going to bed, when I'm done finishing up out here. Um, but I, I like, like it a lot so far. It's, it's awesome. I got a lot of family, like on my mom's side that actually lives West coast, uh, out in LA. So a little bit closer to them that, um, usually used to, so able to, you know, see them a little bit more, but I'm loving it. You, you can't beat the, uh, Arizona weather out here. It's just, <laughs> Sunny, hot, but sunny all day, every day. I was going to say McGloin was out in Carson, California there for a little while with uh, the Oakland Raiders, uh, formerly the Oakland Raiders. So that mm-hmm. had to be fun. Uh, so you guys have both gotten your experience with this like West Coast life out in the NFL. So that's been fun. Um, I remember thinking like when I made like, I'm from, I'm obviously from Scranton, Northeast PA. So like when I first went out to Oakland, I remember thinking like this flight is taken forever. And then by like my third and fourth year out in, in, in Oakland, like flying back home, it was like the easy, it was so long, but it was the easiest thing in the world because you're so used to it. But yeah, I remember yeah. 
like having to think before I would call my parents back home. Like, wait, what time is it back east? Yeah, uh, it's that. But dude, one of the one of the best things about living out that way and the time difference is like any professional sporting event starts. Early. Oh yeah. So you're not watching. You're not having to watch MMA at midnight. Exactly. Or- happened, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, they had the UFC fight, and I was. It was nine, I think nine o'clock. It started out here, which was yeah. Great. Oh, that's yep. perfect. Yeah, basketball oh games God. like finals games right now are coming on. Uh, you know, they're starting like five p.m. Yep, I'm able to watch those, and then uh, I got I just watched those. I finished up at what eight o'clock, nine o'clock, and I still got a few hours to just chill out before going to bed. So it's, it's yeah, exactly. it's been good. <laughs> so Trace, I want to ask you a question because uh, McGloin and I were texting about this. Um, do you have any sort of connection to uh, the, the present team in regards to who gets number nine at any given time? Because we were recently texting McGloin and I about uh, one of the quarterbacks for Penn State. Now, Christian Bayer is wearing his number 11. So it's like, oh, cool. A guy in the quarterback room, Bo Perbula and other quarterbacks wearing number nine. Joey yeah. Porter's wearing number nine. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. That is. So does that mean anything to you at this point in time? Or is it just kind of like, oh, cool, man. No, I mean, it's cool to, you know, see, you know, guys wearing the number and, uh, you know, being able to see, like, especially like the quarterbacks uh, that have been wearing it. It's cool to kind of, I don't know how they look at it, but, you know, I hope that, you know, they, I've was able to establish enough of a legacy that, you know, when they put on that number, it, it resonates with them and it means something to them. Um, So just to kind of be able to see some of these young guys coming up, I think uh, Bayer was wearing it last for a little while last year and that was weird to see like another quarterback wearing it like in a in game uh, that was like just a different adjustment like you're so used to even just watching film seeing number nine of, of myself when i was when i was back there uh to, so see someone else watch wearing it as i was watching the game uh it was definitely a little bit adjustment but it was cool to kind of see someone someone else wearing it and like i said i hope you know when they put on that number nine especially you know on the offensive side of quarterback position that it kind of means something to them it's something that they want to live up to. Um, I know it did for me uh, when I first put it on. Um, I'm losing the dude's name who had nine before. Um, started with a Z, I'm pretty sure. His last name. Oh, Zordich. Zordich. Yeah, yeah, Zordich. 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 Oh, we've had him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. of course. So, yeah, I remember like, and Zordich was huge for the whole transition yeah. and kind of, you know, keeping the program alive. So, you know, I know when I was a freshman, I they had big pictures Zordich up there. Uh, in the training room, see him wearing number nine. You know, I would walk by and it, it just kind of was a little bit of a deeper connection to the number for me. Because we've had that. spider, uh, yeah. we've had spider on the podcast, Matt, and he, I know for a fact, whenever he would give a number to a player, he would educate them on the history of the number. So for you, mm-hmm. number eleven, Lavar Arrington kind of stands out for some Penn State fans, and then Micah Parsons shortly after you. So, um, have you texted Christian Veyer yet, McGloin, to congratulate him on getting number eleven? I have not. I have not. Uh, but uh, but no, kind of like Trace said, it's just it's when you're given that number, right? You know, uh, it becomes your number. But like you just you think back about everybody that has worn it. As you mentioned, LeVar Arrington, Micah Parsons, Navarro Bowman, mm. um, just some some great players, um, you know, and you just hope that and, and like you just hope you can do like your best in a way, I guess you can say, I mean, it's not necessarily, you got to go out there and be an all big 10 player and all American throw for 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns, whatever it may be, but respect the number, understand what it means to wear that number, wear that Jersey. Um, you know, um, it's a commitment, 
you know, and it's something you should, you should embrace. Um, so, but like Trey said, it's excited to see, you know, the, the numbers being passed on. I've, I've been waiting. I've been waiting to see who is going to wear 11 next, but you know, you got to text glad, them, man. Yeah. You got to send them a text or something. I'll like have that. to reach out, but I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad another quarterback's going to wear 11 and um, definitely excited, you know, um, about the future for him because, uh, you know, seeing what, you know, we've talked about throughout the spring with him and what we saw in the spring game, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, the future could be bright, you know, for number 11. So, Trace, uh, regarding the future of Penn State football, how locked in are you to what's going on with the program right now? Maybe specifically the quarterbacks or just the team as a whole? Um, I mean, a little bit here and there. Um, try and keep up with it as much as I can. Obviously, you know, in, in the fall, I'm, I'll watch as much as I can, um, you know, in between what I got going on out here. But uh, definitely is trying to stay up to date on it. Uh, and then I'm still – I still stay in contact with like Sean and coach Franklin. Um, you know, Sean's probably the last guy that I played with that now that he's going into his 12th year of college football. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I stay in touch with it a little bit and, you know, I know they got a lot of young guys that they're excited about. So looking forward to the future for what they got. And, um, you know, I obviously play with coach Franklin now. He's able to kind of get a program going. So, uh, you know, got, got faith in him that he'll be able to get these guys back, back to where they, they should be. Yeah, and you, you were back on campus pretty recently. So you, you get those chances to reconnect to to the point you were, you know, poking fun at a little bit. Sean Clifford's going into his sixth season. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, that was uh, the pandemic played a huge factor in that. You've experienced that at the professional level, and then name, image, and likeness has changed so much. So the transfer portal has changed the way players are able to move around. Do you look at college football now and be like, I don't even remember what this is anymore? Does it feel so distant to you? Uh, yeah. I mean, you, especially you just see all the, the name image likeness and stuff like that. Like that's one of the ones that, you know, I wish like hell they had that when I was, you know, still playing in college football. I got, I'm sure Matt, you feel the same way. Like you wish you could have done a few things here and there, or even just, you know, the ability to just get a meal downtown or something like that. Like, that's all when I was going through, that's all I would have wanted just a meal downtown or something like that. So um, you know, I know it's, uh, it's definitely a completely different landscape and actually talking to people now, it's, they're still trying to figure out like how to navigate through everything, the transfer portal, the you know, NIL it's, you know, for lack of any other terms, like almost became like free agency kind of in within college football, you know, guys could transfer as much as they want to be eligible immediately. And then, uh, you know, you see, there's a lot of these big name guys from, you know, schools that, maybe don't have the biggest notoriety that now they're going to the, you know, USC's, Texas, you know, Alabama's, you know, wherever it might be and being able to get these big deals and, you know, it makes sense for them. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a completely different landscape than what I remember being college football like. And, and Tracy, you're in the NFL at such an interesting time in the evolution of the quarterback position. And Matt, I want to get your thoughts on this here in a second, but you're in there at a time where the, smaller guy who can be a dual threat, can throw the ball effectively, be efficient, but also run, et cetera. That guy is more valuable now. And you've seen it with, you were working with Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley. It was the, the system in Baltimore was to have duplicates of what the starting quarterback was capable of to a degree to be able to, Hey, if he gets hurt and you experience this, you dive right in. Now right. you're behind Kyler Murray and you guys have a similar skill set. Um, and you get to learn from Colt McCoy, who is now, you know, a seasoned veteran, a legend of college football. 
when you look at the landscape of what it means to be a quarterback now, do you consider yourself fortunate that like, did you hit the curve at the right time? Maybe. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, the landscape is definitely kind of changing. It's no longer kind of the, the height, weight, size type quarterback that, you know, for a while, everyone's looking for that six, four, 220 pound guy that could stand there and just spin the ball and, you know, be, you know, throw all over the field. You know, it's kind of became that, like you said, as the landscape of football has kind of changed to having that, that quarterback that can move around a little bit more. And, you know, you started to see the the starters, as you were mentioning, Lamar, um, uh, obviously Kyler, you know, Mahomes even a little bit to, you know, to a little bit of his, his ability moves around that, that guy that kind of cr- can create a little bit when things kind of break down, uh, you start to see those guys having success you know, everyone always says football is in the NFL is a copycat league. Other people start to try and look for that. And, uh, you know, kind of it starts to trickle down to, all right, now you got a guy that can run around, can do those type of things. It, God forbid something happens to him and he has to be out. You don't want to have to open up a whole new playbook because the guy that's his backup doesn't have that same skill set. So uh, it's, it's definitely becoming a little bit more uh, prominent for a guy to be a little bit of the dual threat and, you know, the – the height and size has kind of changed up a little bit too. As, as long as guys are, you know, can still throw through windows and, you know, throwing, uh, not, you know, getting the ball knocked down and stuff like that. So um, I think guys have learned how to, you know, you learn how to do it and you kind of, it's a knack you have that, you know, throwing between windows, throwing around guys and stuff like that. And all those linemen are six, six plus anyways. So even the six, two guys have, have to find a way to get it around mm-hmm. them. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> if you can play, <laughs> it, honestly, if you, I, I, I couldn't care less. If you can play, you can play. It does not matter. Let me tell you what the whole height argument is for Trace. A guy that's five eleven or a guy that's six four six five. Well, he's six four six five. He's two thirty five with a strong arm. Hey, you know what? He must be a good quarterback. No. That is not how it works. It doesn't matter. You have to be able to process the information, understand how to play the position. If there's one thing about being an undersized quarterback, and you mentioned it, it's creating windows. It's understanding how to move about the pocket and find lanes on, and you understand the system with that, right? I know I'm working backside here. I can shuffle left a little bit. Why? Because I know where my protection is going to be inside this pocket here, right? So I can move. That's that's the way as an undersized guy, you use those two ad, those advantages. You work that. You understand that. Um, but yeah, if you could play, you could play. You could throw. You can throw. It's so much more than just being a big dude with a big arm. And I talk about it all the time. It's decision-making, it's timing, it's accuracy, it's consistency, and it's trust. And if you have those five things right there, you have a chance and you have a chance to play for a long time. And, and so, and, and that brings me to this. And I want to go back here. You were a three-star recruit coming out of high school. Yeah. Right. Probably. I mean, I, I don't even think I had a star, um, but, and one of the things was at size, you know, I remember, and I'll never forget this. Um, one of the coaches at Penn state, said, well, if Matt was 6'3 or 6'4, you know, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. And it's like, come on, it, that doesn't matter. Um, yeah. But anyways, for you, was that something that you looked at going in? It's like, I am a three-star guy, you know, they're oh, maybe overlooking me here or there or what, or was that kind of a perfect scenario for you where you were kind of right in the middle where it's like, all right, we know who this guy is, he's got potential, he could be good. But also at the same time, it was, you know, I, I'm, I'm motivated in a way because I have to prove myself. Yeah. I think it was more kind of the last part you said, like I was more motivated in a way because I did feel like I was getting overlooked. And, you know, when I was going through the recruiting process, 
um, I, in high school, I played both sides of the ball. I was safety and quarterback and, uh, I was, you know, successful on both sides of the ball. So there were a hand, quite honestly, most schools, mo- at least most of the power five schools recruited me to play safety or that kind of like athlete position that you hear about. Um, and I kind of had my heart, my mind and everything set on being a quarterback at, you know, the highest level. Um, so for me, it was about proving all these people wrong that thought I was a better fit as a safety or anything like that. And really just proving myself as a quarterback. I felt like that I'd had a lot of success at that. That's what I, that's where my heart was. It's what I trained for growing up. That's just what I always imagined myself doing. Um, so it was more about that being motivated to kind of come in and, and prove that I, I can come and, you know, be a quarterback at the highest level and, you know, work my way up and win games and do all the throw touchdown passes, all these yards, those, that type of stuff. You know, for me, it's so much, and I think this is getting lost a little bit here, the way the way college football is today. It's about recruiting the right type of player, not mm-hmm. just the best possible athlete. And for a guy like you, you were the right type of player and the right type of quarterback for Penn State to bring in and to recruit. So I want to dig a little deeper here. So in, in recent years, do you think Penn State, from what you've seen now that you've been you've been out of the school, do you think they're getting away from recruiting Penn State type players and just trying to recruit these these big athletes that they think they can turn in to Penn State football players? Yeah, you know, I think there's a there's a little bit of that at probably every position. I don't want to speak just the quarterbacks, but you know, I think there there's a little bit of that. And you know, the landscape is so completely different from you know, these kids are being ranked from the time they're like 10 years old or something like this now. Like just it all starts so much sooner. So the I think probably the mentality of some of these kids coming in, especially when you start to see these big recruits and you know, heralded offers all over the country for five-star kids. Um, a lot of times they come in kind of everyone's already telling them that you know the stuff doesn't stink, that they're one of, they've always been the best guy and you know, it's an awakening process that we all got to go through when we get to that next level. And, you know, I think it's something that, you know, I know Coach Franklin always tries to look for those guys that can be the foundation of the program based on their character, what how they handle themselves, how they, you know, go through how, their work ethic, all that type of stuff. Um, but there is a little bit to it now as far as the recruiting landscape goes. If you're not getting those big recruits, those four or five-star guys, you know, they – they being the fans and, you know, potentially the school are going to want to bring in someone who can get those guys because that's what everyone wants. Um, So it definitely is a little bit of a kind of a dancing act where they have to, you got to find the right guy that fits the program, fits that Penn state mold for what has been for years and years and years, just that's who Penn state is, but then also getting those guys that are kind of a, a one in a million, you know, those type of players that, you know, let's say Quan Barkley, let's say that is that, complete player that you dream of, but also has the other things, that foundation that is a Penn State player. I think people forget as well, like this whole recruiting process and everything like that. Like it's, it's expected for guys to be able to play and not just play, but dominate and win immediately. And even like mm-hmm. the quarterback position, like it, it takes time. Yeah. Right. You red it and you played in a handful of games your second year, and then you became a three-year starter. Mm-hmm. Right. You, 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 you got to be able to, you, to sit back, understand what it's like, um, understand the, the mental aspect of the game, learn the playbook. And, and that's what I want to ask you now, you know, going from Joe Moorhead to Ricky Ronnie and being in that system, 
and the system staying the same, even though there was a coordinator change, right? How important was that for you compared to what Sean Clifford has had to deal with over the past three seasons? Yeah, no, I mean, that definitely is a complete change. Um, You know, kind of to your first point about, you know, these guys, you know, no one's kind of taking that wait a year, wait two years. Part of that, if you look at, we talked about the transfer portal already, you know, a lot of people are just, all right, if they don't see themselves maybe starting next year, they just jump in there and see what else is out. And that's where you start to lose a little bit of that, where everyone's just going to try and go somewhere where the grass is greener and not see maybe the bigger picture that can happen if they wait one more year, or even, you know, just compete for a season. You never know what could happen. You get on the field and, and things kind of fall into, fall into place. But yeah, like you said, I mean, you know, I was very fortunate to only have, you know, I had three different corners, but like you said, only two systems that I had to learn while I was in college where now Sean, I think is on his third, maybe fourth system, something like that. So, I mean, that definitely is, uh, a a tough change to deal with, especially when it's, you know, year after year after year, you learn one, you got to completely forget it, learn a new one. You know, you go through a season, scrap it, do it again. And I think that is where I think coming into this year, he's got a lot of room to kind of grow and, and prosper because now he's finally in a similar system to what he knows and what he's been known. And you see how he played, and I want to say it was 28, no, 2019 when they went to the Cotton Bowl. He had, he'd been in a system where he was comfortable in it. He, he knew everything. And then, you know, he's kind of been doing the ebbs and flows of a new coordinator, new system. You know, he's got to get continuity with the coordinator. He's got to learn the playbook, get timing down with the receivers, get the protections right with the offensive line. There's a lot more that goes into it than just learning the plays, as you very well know. So I think it's one of those things that, him coming into this season, uh, he's got obviously the he's motivated. He's feels like he got a lot to prove, but he's got a great opportunity where he's been in this system for already one season. Is kind of knows knows the system and can now grow in that system. And to your point, Trace, you know Clifford was playing through the pandemic season, mm-hmm. and he was banged up so much throughout 2021 and the way everything was trending there in September and that yeah. first week of October. Things look good, so we're, we're all hopeful that it's going to be a positive season here in 2022. And kind of what you said earlier on when we were talking here is that getting back to that point that fans, especially, believe Penn State can be, and a lot of fans look at the high watermark of your time at Penn State, the 2016 Big Ten Championship win. Um, That was still so special, and I think people still get goosebumps about that and see that as what the James Franklin era is capable of. Do you see this core being able to get back to that in the near future? Yeah, I mean, I think in the near future, you know, they got uh, a lot of guys that have been able to come back and kind of be, like I said, that cornerstone have kind of gone through all the years of college football and kind of they know that they were a part of some of those teams that, that I was on that they at least got the feel for what, what those teams are like. So now they can carry that forward, set that standard. And they got a lot of these young guys coming in that, you know, big play guys, big potential guys, as they can get them corralled and on the right path, then that's where they'll have that opportunity to kind of make their talent equal their potential. And, and you could see a team getting back to that uh, big 10 championship, you know, putting their name in that playoff, picture in New Year's Six Bowl game. The 2016 Big Ten Championship game, as a play-by-play guy, I have to ask, have you heard the clips from Gus Johnson calling that game 
when he was calling you the wizard of Camelot. <laughs> Have you watched any of that? Yeah, I've seen, uh, you know, right after that game, you know, they kind of, that whole, the wizard thing kind of came a little, it was a little bit weird. Like people started like see me downtown, call me a wizard. I'm like, all right. What? Like, I'll it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, so I've seen some of those clips and I mean, Gus is a legend and he's got so many, just those little bites where he's, you know, the Hollywood Brown one with him. Now your team. I mean, he's got countless ones where how animated he is in the booth and it just, it kind of screams off the television at you when you're sitting there watching it. So um, for what, you know, one of those things that he's kind of came up with to, you know, be associated with me was pretty cool. Imagine the money you could have made. Oh, NIL. Yeah. NIL back then with the wizard nickname. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it hurts. It hurts. Have you gotten at in any way, shape or form to interact with Gus? Um, a little bit kind of in those pre, uh, you know, pregame, you know, you get to meet with the the staff and everything like that. Um, the announcers and all that. So a little bit in, in that kind of situation, but other than that, I haven't had too much interaction with them. I, I would love, I would pay so much to see Gus Johnson sit down and explain it to your face where his head was at as that was. Going I, would on. Love to I think that'd be, that'd be great to hear him, he, yeah. hear him get his side of it. <laughs> and it spawned your, your hit song. Trace McSorley yeah. by Maddie Fresh, who is actually <laughs> yeah. a friend of mine, um, has done 7.3 million views on YouTube. Is wow. that what it's at now? I just checked it before we hopped on yeah. here, so it <laughs> might be more. When that came out, did that just blow your mind? Yeah, that did, because it was like when the, he had first made the song kind of going end of, into my senior year. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I heard it. And, you know, it got the, you know, got a few plays in the locker room. Everyone kind of, you know, inside the locker room, Joe laugh about it. And, you know, but that was the end of it. Yeah. I think it never got played like in the stadium or anything like that. It was kind of just the end of it. And then it was, I think it was during the COVID year in 2020. I remember I'm in Baltimore. I wake up for practice and I had a, a Snapchat from an old friend that I hadn't talked to since high school. And he's like, dude, check this out. Like, this is hilarious. I responded, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, like old song, but I was like, I hadn't heard that in a while, LOL, that was the end of it. But then, like, my phone just blew up, like, from the rest of that day, it was, it was wild. So, I mean, to see kind of how it kind of came about, it it did kind of blow my mind. I never would have expected anything like that to happen, but uh, no, it was cool, and I've tried to, you know, have some fun with it. Uh, you know, now I feel like, especially a lot of, like, younger kids, they know me more from that song than they do anything that I <laughs> did on the field at Penn State. Um, so, I mean, I, I just try and have fun with it and, uh, you know, little kids as I'll be walking on the field, they'll be singing the song, like in the stands or something like that. So it, it's cool. Imagine the money you could have made and I help from that song. The amount of times uh, we can go back and talk about that is right. Like, yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, but look, like looking back and, you know, for me, you know, uh, and obviously, you know, you're a few years in the NFL now. And for me, without that senior year that I had, without the coaching that I had and the preparation that, you know, uh, I was taught, I was taught how to play the position at, at an NFL level, like the way NFL quarterbacks should, should see the field, should operate. Just everything about it was taught day in and day out for me. Mm. And right now, with where Penn state is at, like I'm a big believer that Penn state is only as good as their assistant coaches are. And I think it starts with that off with the offensive coordinator, with that OC. And aside from James, like the assistants you played with when you were there, obviously they've departed and gone on to other jobs. 
do you feel like you got everything you needed, the necessary coaching and everything you needed to be successful and hit the ground running when you hit the NFL? Or was it still a big learning curve for you? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I was definitely very well prepared going into for my transition from college to the NFL. Um, you know, like, like everything there's, there's an adjustment. There was a little bit of a learning curve, just, you know, being, learning how to be a professional, right. That was probably the biggest thing is, you know, taking my time outside of it to, you know, be diving in the playbook and everything like that. And, um, you know, in the NFL, there's only, there's only so much time that they're allowed to meet with you and be with you on the field. And a lot of times they got to be handling the starters and coaching them up and stuff like that. So, for myself personally, the biggest learning curve I had was just learning how to kind of do that stuff all on my own. Uh, you know, learning the playbook. Obviously, I'm in the meeting rooms with the coaches and all that type of stuff. But the extra stuff I had to do on my own to make my make sure I was ready for for practice on my own or for preseason games, whatever it might be. Um, but I do think like the the coaching staff that I was around at Penn State, you know, Coach Moorhead, how he taught his system. It was a college system, but he kind of taught it in a way that how it related to everything I was learning in the NFL, jet protections, progressions, reads, uh, reading a defense, that type of stuff. You know, he really did kind of, you know, coach it in that way so that when I got to the NFL and I had, I had almost like heard it all, all before. Now it was a different language. I would talk about it, et cetera, but I had heard that kind of stuff before. So it was, I did feel very prepared by the time I got into like combine interviews and getting to once I was drafted and getting into the meeting room with coaches, I did feel very prepared from that standpoint. Yeah. And that's, and that's the way it should be. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's frustrating in a way to, to watch Penn state because there has been a lot of turnover in recent years when it comes to assistant coaches. And it's just, yeah. it's not what you want to see from, from your former school. It's not what you're yeah. used to seeing from Penn state. So, yeah. and, and I know the transfer portal is huge now. So I guess, the question becomes, how do you expect a player to stay loyal when coaches don't? And and Trace, how do we fix this problem at Penn State? What would you like to see? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it's a problem that I think everyone's trying to, that's kind of what they're navigating right now, right? Hmm. Is trying to figure all that out. I mean, I think, you know, for one, kind of the, in, a, in a good way, the mark of a great program is that everyone wants to Poach, a, poach an assistant coach and you know these coaches have aspirations you know you see all the guys that go be a assistant at Alabama for a few years then the next few years they're a head coach at a program and running their own program so I think you know there's a you know good and bad to it obviously as you know a program you don't want to see these coaches in and out in like a revolving door you, know, you don't want to see that you want these guys to have that continuity um, be able to be coached up by the same guy for a few years um, but at the same time, if, you know, teams are coming to try and get your assistance, it means you're doing something right. Um, so I think that's something where, you know, I don't know how, if it's, uh, elevating a assistant coach's salary to try and keep them for another year or two, or, you know, whatever it might be, that's way beyond my scope. But I think it's something that, uh, that, you know, you, you want to try and look at so that you can try and keep these coaches and keep these players happy and kind of keep that continuity from year to year. Yeah. 
it's just gotten so complex within college football and, and mm-hmm. God knows we're not the three that are going to figure it out. Hopefully somebody, <laughs> somebody in a position of power starts figuring that stuff out soon. Cause it, it just feels like the wild, wild West right now, but yeah. everything's going on. But uh, Trace, thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, you have so much going on uh, in your future, not only professionally, what you're doing with the Arizona Cardinals, but um, you know, you're, you're getting married soon. So congratulations mm-hmm. on that. Um, as you look forward, um, and listen, I hope you're in the National Football League for a long, long time. But what are you hoping to do after your playing days are over? Yeah, um, you know, I think for me, kind of what I always envision would be that I would get into coaching. Um, is something that, uh, you know, I, I love the X and O's of the game, uh, being able to sit there and talk through a game plan, talk through what you're going to try and attack on a defense, how you can, you know, take advantage of how they play a certain coverage or a certain front in the run game or, you know, a, a blitz trying to pick that up ahead of time and then being able to, you know, they bring the pressure and then you could, you know, make them pay for it. Like that's the type of stuff that from the quarterback position I love. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, coaching is where I've looked into um, potentially getting into that. Um, but then even doing something just like within the media, if the, an analyst position or something like that, um, same thing. I, I want to be around the game, be able to talk about the game um, in any way I can. I feel like um, I've been able to develop a good enough knowledge of the game. To, I want to be able to pass that on to someone else down the line. So that's that's what I want to end up doing. And we'll see where life takes. But like you said, let, let's hope I can keep the uh, on-field stuff going for hey man, so far. So good. So far, yeah. so good. Seriously. Um, and you got the mind for it. So I, I can't imagine that not being your future. So and hey, I got to tell you, the podcasting world. Not too bad. So if yeah. you ever want to come <laughs> chop it up with McGloin and I, you're welcome back anytime. Seriously. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> uh, but Trace, uh, sincerely, best of luck on your wedding upcoming and the planning and all that stuff. That should be fun. And best of luck this season with the Arizona Cardinals. So thank you for your time. Yeah, appreciate you guys. It was a blast talking to y'all. Wedding planning, I'm just going to try and let her handle as much <laughs> as possible. <laughs> Smart man. Smart man. Yeah. Thank you, Trace. Yeah, no doubt. Appreciate it. And thank you all so much for joining us. We'll be back on ESPN State College next Thursday, again, from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. If you want to check out the podcast version of this show presented by the Believe Network, this episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter at ESPN Radio 1037 at McGloin QB11 and at Tom Hannafin. Thanks again, everyone. Join us next week and hit Pater. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.